The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. Hey, y'all. I'm Bud Elliott, and this is my college football summer school series on Cover 3. I bring on the team experts from the 24-7 sports staff and ask them the questions I care about. No fluff. Which players will be toughest to replace? What position groups are sneakily better or worse than I realize? We get you the scoop on each team in 20 minutes or less. Let's go. Hey guys, Bud Elliott here. Welcome back to College Football Summer School on the Cover 3 Podcast today. We are talking Tennessee. They're off their best season in a long time. And to do that, I'm going to bring on Patrick Brown of Go Balls 24-7. Patrick, welcome back to the show, man. Glad to be back, bud. Glad to uh, be back in your summer school again for a second straight year. Absolutely. L- last year, Patrick was on it. Shot a lot of, lot of potential, a lot of promise for this team. And yet I feel like they also exceeded uh, most people's expectations, winning 11 ball games. Not really lucky in doing so. Top five power rating, bunch of blowout wins, generally dominant. Only two close lo- or only, only two losses, really. Uh, what was it like to cover this team? Uh, I'll be honest, but it was a lot of fun. You know, I, I've covered Tennessee going, you know, full time going back to 2011. And to be honest, I've seen a lot of bad football. I've uh, gotten really good at covering coaching searches and random drama and uh, things that a lot of a lot of people that are in this business may have maybe have not seen close up for. Uh, and and we on the Tennessee beat have seen it multiple times. So uh, it was a lot of fun. Tennessee had the, the best offense in the country, um, won some really big games. They were undefeated at Neyland Stadium. They had so many big wins, big moments. You go back to Pittsburgh, they beat Florida in September. Uh, they go to LSU. And I think that was when people realized like, Oh, oh gosh, he's, you know, this team could be pretty good. They uh, win by four touchdowns down in Baton Rouge. And uh, that, that Alabama game was an all time classic. I'm sure uh, maybe Alabama fans don't remember it that way. Tennessee fans will never forget it, but a lot of, a lot of neutrals, as they say. Um, 
you know, probably love that game. It's back and forth, high scoring. So uh, it was a lot of fun. And then, you know, even covering a, a New Year's Six Bowl, you know, Tennessee going to the Orange Bowl after I lost those two games in, uh, in November was, was, was a lot of fun getting to cover like a big time bowl game. So uh, it was a lot of fun for, for me personally. It was a lot of fun for a lot of Tennessee fans too. And uh, I think everybody's just hoping that they can continue on this track and, uh, and that nothing will stop the, uh, the train and, and the momentum and, and the positive vibes that this program has uh, come upon pretty quickly because, you know, this time two years ago, there was a lot of uncertainty and uh, this program's had a lot of tough times. And, and, and around this time two years ago or two, two years and a few months ago was, was probably one of the close, uh, really one of the close to rock bottom times there was. For sure. Uh, it, it's not often a program narcs on our head coach to avoid paying a buyout, but uh, they, <laughs> they, they are really, really rolling. I, I do have to give you one question from the comment section before we jump into to the breakdown of the 2023 squad. Is there any truth to the rumor of the whole locker room fight before the South Carolina game? Because the Georgia loss, I can get, right? Like, Georgia's got great players. Tennessee, when they have better players, they usually steamroll everybody. That was just a weird one to watch. Uh, I, we still get this question from time to time. Um, I, I don't know that there was a fight. I do think that there was uh, a player in, in question is Jeremy Banks. He's the guy that was a uh, starting linebacker that missed that game. I think even if he plays, it doesn't matter. Tennessee was just had a had a the bad night of all bad nights, and Spencer Rattler got hot early and stayed hot. It happens. Uh, I don't think there was a fight, but I do think there was some uh, disagreements. And uh, in Banks's case, there was a series of things uh, leading up to that week and early in that week that led to him not making the trip. And uh, it, it did, you know, everybody, some people do want to blame him and say that there was, and, you know, it was all over NIL and all this stuff. There were a lot of rumors flying around, um, but I, I don't think there was a full-on fight, as some have, have maybe suggested or, or tried to, uh, to paint as the truth. All right, comment section, we appreciate you all joining us live. We can put that one to bed. Patrick Brown with, with the final word on it. So th- as you mentioned, this was the best offense in the country last year, especially w- when, when Hooker was in there. I felt like he was just extremely good in the college setting with, with a guy who was that veteran. Now they move on to Joe Milton, who I'm from Orlando. He's from Orlando. I've seen this guy since he was probably like 14, 15 years old. Have you ever seen a guy with a stronger arm than Joe Milton? Because I'm not really sure that I have as a prospect. This is different. No, I think the best arm I've covered at Tennessee was probably Tyler Bray. And, and Tyler, could he, could he could throw the football all over the field, but um, you don't. <laughs> arms like Joe Milton's don't come along very often. I think if he if he was in the NFL right now, I mean, where would you rank him among strongest arms? I think he'd have to be up there, right? Top three yeah. at least. Like, I want to see a throw uh, off of him and Josh Allen. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and um, in, in Neyland Stadium, watching him, them warm up and, and throw passes, and I mean, from up high, up, uh, up at the perch that we have, it's pretty majestic to watch him throw the football 60 yards like it's nothing. I remember they they brought him in for Hail Mary at the end of the first half of that Alabama game for some like, like a million things that happened. So nobody remembers this, but he was like kind of falling away to his left from like the 35, 40 yard line and flicked his wrist. And it was so effortless. And the ball landed, you know, front of the front corner of the end zone. Um, just, I mean, it, it is really uh, amazing how well he can throw a football. And, and they've tried to get that to where he puts more touch on it and he's able to make the shorter throws with better accuracy and more consistency, and, and I think he's shown signs of doing that. Patrick, obviously, I mean, he didn't work out at Michigan. Tennessee feels like like they're able to unlock some accuracy stuff with him, I know, just from, you know, from talking to people around there. How will they call the game differently with Milton, with his skill set, than they did for, for a hooker? That's a good question, um, and I think one of the advantages for, for Milton going into this season, it's his third season at Tennessee. 
they he knows this offense. The coaching staff knows him. Josh Heupel, Joey Housley was has been Heupel's quarterbacks coach for a while. Now he's the offensive coordinator. Uh, Heupel will probably take over maybe more play calling duties than maybe he did when Alex Golish was there. But they have a full off season to, to sort of know what this guy does and, and sort of tailor things around him. I think you saw that last season with Hendon Hooker. Um, you know they knew he was the guy. They saw what he did in 2021. They could build things around him. Um, I, I don't think Milton is as good or maybe as elusive as a runner as Hendon Hooker was. Hooker's slippery, can, can put some moves on guys in the open field. Milton's athletic. I think he's got some good straight line speed, maybe not Anthony Richardson level, but uh, when he gets going, he's 6'5", 240. Uh, he can move pretty well. I, I think the difference is maybe he's not as willing to scramble. I think he trusts his arm a lot. Um, and so sometimes you see him hold the football maybe too long where he takes sacks he shouldn't because – he knows he just needs somebody to get open for a split second. He's got the arm strength to get it there 15 yards downfield. So uh, I, I do think um, in terms of what they're going to look like offensively, I, I think Milton showed uh, in a couple of those games late last season that he could be really effective throwing the football over the middle of the field, slants, posts, things like that. Uh, I think he did really well throwing between the numbers against Clemson in the Orange Bowl. That's where he had some success. He had a couple of nice throws uh, in that Vanderbilt game as well where where he hit those sort of in-breaking routes. So. Uh, I think that could be an area where um, you know what he can do down the sidelines, you know what he can do down the middle of the field, 40, 50 yards downfield, but maybe that intermediate range, 15, 25 yards, 10 to 15, 10 to 20 yards over the middle of the field, I think that's an area where um, maybe he could become a bigger part of the game plan. Not that Hindenhooker couldn't make those throws, um, but, but with Milton and some of the things he can do, I, I think that's an area that uh, you could see Tennessee sort of build upon and, and try to maximize as he takes over as the guy. And with his arm strength, you have to respect the throws outside the hashes so much. Like you just don't have a lot of time to react to a ball that's humming like that. So maybe that just makes the you know the middle of the field even more open if possible. Uh, but speaking of outside the numbers, no team in the country threw a higher percentage of his passes to outside receivers than Tennessee. And they lose Jalen Hyatt, so I know he played a lot of slot. And they lose Tillman. Is there any way this group can kind of hold serve and avoid a drop-off? And if so, who's going to be the most key for that? I think there's reason to think they can. Well, they have a guy that's, you know, well, they have that 1,000-yard receiver like they've had the past two seasons with Tillman and Hyatt. I don't know. It might be a little bit more spread out. Um, and, and certainly the way that, that Tennessee runs its offense, there's, you know, they spread guys so far uh, wide that, that you know, there's a lot of room over the middle of the field that, that they can exploit. Um, I think in terms of looking at this receiver core right now, I think you have to start with Brew McCoy. Uh, I don't think he's going to be the big, you know, big play guy like Jalen Hyatt was. I don't know if he's going to be a downfield 50-50 ball guy like uh, like Cedric Tillman was, but he's so big and physical. He's a, he's a tough matchup on those comeback routes. He's a tough matchup. Work in the middle of the field on, on some of those posts and slants. He obviously made that great catch against Alabama with two guys bearing down on him. Uh, he, he's a big physical guy that that brings that edge to, to wide receiver. Um, if there is a big play guy, I think there's two guys. Um, it, it's Squirrel White, who we saw get loose a little bit in the Orange Bowl against Clemson. Uh, he's a guy that's not very big, 5'10", 160, 165. Uh, they really challenged him to put on a little bit more weight, put on a little bit more muscle. Uh, he's quick and elusive enough to make things happen after the catch on, on some of those bubble screens, the quick perimeter throws that you mentioned. He's also got the, the top end speed to get downfield over the top. Uh, we, he, he got downfield quite a bit in some games that, that he played last season and uh, is able to track the football well and make plays. He, he plays a little bit bigger than he is in some of those situations. And uh, a guy that Tennessee's really excited about is, is Oregon transfer Dante Thornton. Not a lot of production with the Ducks. Did have some big games. Did have some big moments late last season. I know he had a big game against Utah in a game I think Oregon won, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, and he's a guy that the Tennessee staff has talked about using a little bit like Hyatt, where they move him around, 
within the offense. They create matchups for him. Maybe not a guy that you line up outside and say, hey, get off press all game, but a guy that used some motions, get some free releases, some stack formations, things like that to get his speed uh, and maybe create some mismatches there, which is what they did so well with Hyatt. So uh, I think you got to start with those three guys. And and, and Ramel Keaton may end up produce, outproducing all those guys just because he has a really good connection, really good rapport. Uh, with Joe Milton, he did a great job stepping in for Cedric Tillman last season. You know, he got in there and and ensured that there was you know they didn't really skip a beat with him. He's not Tillman; he's not going to be that big power forward like guy, but uh, he, he can make down the uh, incredible diving catch that flipped that Florida game around late in the first half. So he's shown he can get the job done, and, and he could be maybe the most consistent, reliable guy. But those are those are four players that I think Tennessee feels pretty confident in. If they have some injuries, they're going to be throwing some young guys in there, but. Uh, that top four, I think they feel pretty good about. Uh, and, and certainly it's a situation where if you're losing two guys like Hyatt and Tillman, uh, those, those are the guys you'd like to have replaced and coming up after them to kind of keep the train rolling there. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. I, I think it makes sense that Tennessee would go out and, and, and get Thornton. Like I look at this transfer portal a lot like, like, like baseball for agency, right? Like, okay, maybe the guy didn't succeed here pitching, but you know, like a team like the Rays or something, they say, okay, I like this guy's spin rate and this one pitch he throws. We're going to get him in, change up his arsenal a little bit, just emphasize what he does do well. Like that seems like, like a fairly targeted shot by Tennessee to go out and get that speed guy that they can, okay, he doesn't, doesn't get off press, no problem. You can't really press Tennessee slot with, with the way they do things, and, and we certainly know he's fast. I'm excited to watch him. Offensive line-wise, you got to give Tennessee credit for finally getting that real high level of play out of Darnell Wright that I think you saw as a recruit you know, could be achieved if, if he could put it all together. And last year, he finally had that just awesome season. What What's your your take on this offensive line this year? Yeah, they, they, they've got some big shoes to fill. You throw, You mentioned Darnell Wright, top 10 pick. He played at an elite level last season. Guys with his combination of size and power and, and agility and athleticism, they don't they don't grow on trees. Uh, there's not a, another one of those, I think, you know, rolling around the program right now. So uh, and then you throw in Jerome Carvin, who, I think had more starts in his career than than, Car, uh, than than Wright did. Experienced guy. He gave them the luxury of if anything happened to Cooper Mays at center, he could slide over from guard, play center. That's an underrated thing that, that gets overlooked because you know college football coaches can never have enough centers, guys snapping the ball. So uh, they've got two big holes to fill there. Obviously, Cooper Mays comes back at center. Uh, Javante Spragans is back at right guard. Those will both be third-year starters. The other three spots on the offensive line are really up for grabs. And uh, I know obviously Darnell Wright started at right tackle, but they've kind of opened up left tackle as well. Used a couple guys there, and Gerald Mincy was a transfer from Florida that started seven games. Jeremiah Crawford uh, started the other six. Um, they brought in John Campbell Jr. from Miami. He chose Tennessee over Florida and Florida State out of the portal. Started 12 games for Miami last season. So uh, they, they've got some options there at those tackle spots with experience. Mincy flipped over to the right side. Uh, he'd kind of been maybe mostly a left side guy. Uh, but but flipped over to the right some. You know, he since he's got some guys that they think can play both left and right. Campbell is probably sticking it left as he continues to sort of learn the offense and get comfortable. So um it's it, it's gonna be honestly, it's gonna be impossible to to have one guy step in there and beat Darnell right. I mean, that's just that's not realistic. But 
Uh, I think Glenn Ellaby, the offensive line coach, has is, is done a good job developing players individually. He's done a good job of developing this unit collectively. They took a step, uh, you saw, from 2021 to 2022. Uh, so you kind of give him the benefit of the doubt. And, and you know, they, they've put offensive lines out there without sort of maybe that top-end talent and still, you know, produced a lot of points and yards. So um, big picture, you know, is it going to hurt the offense? It, it's going to hurt the offense. Will it cause them to you know, really struggle on offense? Probably not necessarily, but uh, I think this offensive line is, uh, I, they could have a chip on their shoulder because a lot of people are going to be doubting them. You know, a lot of people are going to be wondering how good they're going to be without Wright, without Carvin and, you know, offensive line, offensive linemen are prideful guys. You know, they don't like to hear that kind of stuff. And uh, I think you saw this group play with a little bit of an attitude last season. And a lot of those guys, other than Carvin and Wright are back. So, you know, that they're, if they're able to carry that on, I think they're, they should be able to, to mitigate the drop off to where, um, yeah, they might give up a few more sacks. Maybe the rushing yards don't, you know, maybe they don't average 220 rushing yards a game, but the end product is still impressive and Tennessee's still putting up a lot of points and putting up enough points to, to win a lot of games. Is, uh, is, is Campbell moving around all right? I, I, I asked this because I thought his PFF stuff last year was really good through the first like half of the season. He actually tweaked his knee in warm-ups for the FSU game and missed it. And then when he came back, his PFF stuff kind of dropped off a cliff from, from my recollection. And I was like, I, I wonder if this guy's just trying to gut it out and, and you know play hurt for, for his team. When healthy, I thought he was a, a, a quality football player. Have you seen him move around? Have you heard anything about how he's moving around? I, I haven't heard anything about an injury. I think he looked fine in the spring. Okay. Um, you know, they, they kept him at left tackle because you know, you get a lot of even transfer guys that have played multiple offenses at other schools, they get to Tennessee's offense. They're like, this is a lot different than I've ever played in. And so there's sort of a learning curve. Brew McCoy's talked about it. I mean, even Hendon Hooker. So there were times he was pulling his hair out early his first year in this offense just because it's so different and uh, they do so many different things that, that it's just a different way of playing. And so, um, you know, Gerald Mincy came over from Florida, didn't have as much experience as Campbell does, and he sort of needed a spring to get his feet wet. And then he went and uh, won the starting left tackle job last uh, in preseason camp last year. So I think Campbell can probably do the same thing. And, and I would probably think he's going to be the starting left tackle when they open up the season. And Mincy also, if I recall, he's a Florida kid, very like a lot younger than grade level. I always thought, okay, like he he may be more of a late bloomer in college. I'm, I'm excited to watch him. Maybe yeah. he can have a you know a big time step. I think they are uh, too. Yeah, I, I think there may be something there. Defensively, this was a top forty defense if you adjust for opponent, and I, I, I you have to adjust for opponent. You have to adjust for pace if you're you know if you're looking at Tennessee's numbers. Otherwise, it looks like they have the worst defense in the country, which <laughs> is not true. I I kind of admired how they. They they fit this defense to what they want their offense to be. Like you could not run the football on those guys. They made sure made sure to use personnel to ensure that you could hit them with, with some bombs occasionally and, and throw the ball on them. But if you hit one, the offense gets the ball back. I guess my one concern here, I guess I'll start with, is is pass rush without having to blitz. So you lose Byron Young, a, a good number of linebackers. It, do you share that concern, or is is there a reason for optimism here? No, it's definitely a concern. It's been a point of emphasis. Tennessee's coaching staff, starting with Tim Banks, the defensive coordinator, has, has been up front with that. Going back to the first time we talked to him this offseason back in February, it was two points. Was, uh, the defense was shoring up the coverage, being a little bit tighter, particularly in zone. They are not. They weren't a very good zone team last season. And and being able to get more pressure uh, with the four-man rush, something that uh, they didn't think they did very well last season, if, even with Byron Young. Um, and, and they're going to be counting on some young guys to step up, some unknowns. Uh, young was an all-SEC performer. Kind of like Darnell Wright, he's going to be tough to replace. There's not, there's some young talent there, but is it ready to be as good as he was last season? Probably not. Um, they've recruited well at that. At that, they call it a, the Leo position. It's sort of a hybrid defensive end, outside linebacker position. 
with Joshua Josephs, James Pierce Jr. in the in the previous class. Both those guys are sophomores. Caleb Herring is a guy that was the, the top-ranked player in the state of Tennessee. Um, it, he maybe looked like a little bit of a, of a development guy. Then he comes in January and puts on like 20 pounds in like three or four weeks. And and now the staff thinks they, you know, he can chip in and, and play. So you're asking some of these guys, you know, Joseph's played a little bit rotationally last season. You're asking these guys to to play more, you know, to be more consistent, be more disruptive. Um, I should mention they they do bring back Roman Harrison, who's a veteran guy. He's probably gonna be the starter at that one spot. Um, you know, but there's some young guys there that that showed some flashes in the spring, but they're young, right? There's gonna be ups and downs, there's gonna be a consistency. Pierce, Josephs, I'll throw Herring in there. Those guys need to have big summers to show that they can uh, you know, be able to to come in and, and be more productive and, and make more things happen on a on a more consistent basis. Uh, I think Tyler Barron's a, a big guy for this defensive line. Guy that's got a lot of ability, has has flashed it at times, maybe hasn't put it all together, maybe he's not always been bought in. He dealt with injuries a lot in 2021. He's opened the past few seasons as as a starter, and then somebody else has sort of taken over that job. He's a guy that on third down and on passing downs, they like to move inside with his quickness against guards, and I think he was pretty effective uh, in that role. So he's got a chance if he's all bought in and, and has everything on straight, he's a chance. And he's a guy that can play all three downs, play defensive end one down, a kick inside. So uh, on, on third down, so uh, that that's definitely a big concern, and, and the coaching staff has been open about. You know, we need to improve this. We need to improve this. And uh, the proof is going to have to be in the pudding because, uh, again, if you're talking about unknowns. You're talking about young guys that have talent, have ability, you know, but can they go out there and do it on Saturdays? And that, that's a big question. You're, you're absolutely right, bud. So in the secondary, uh, Trevon Flowers, unless my depth chart's wrong, is basically the only real uh, guy that played a lot who, who's gone. If, if this unit, which was kind of averageish per my numbers, and uh, you watch them a lot more than I do, I, I wasn't super impressed, but, you know, like it, it – it is what it is. If they get better, is it because existing guys just took a big leap, or are there guys who didn't play a lot last year who may be threat, you know, threatening to to take some of those spots? Well, I, I think it's safety. You mentioned Flowers. I think safety. They're going to have a couple of veteran guys there. Jalen McCullough is a, like a thirty-eight game start at safety. Uh, he's a guy that just needs to get better, uh, and he. You wonder if he is what he is at this point. He's a guy that always seems to be in position, in the right position, which coaches love, especially at safety because of the last line of defense. Um, but sometimes he doesn't make the play that's there in front of him, the routine play. He needs to do that more consistently. So uh, that's maybe one example. I think Wesley Walker is going to, uh, is a transfer from Georgia Tech, second-year guy, or he played last season at Tennessee. But I think he's going to step into that starting role for Flowers at safety. I think he played pretty well those last two games where he started when Flowers was hurt. Uh, I think the bigger question might be at cornerback. Um, it, it's an interesting situation because it's probably the most crowded position on the roster, but yet nobody left after spring ball. I mean, even coming after, even coming out of the the Orange Bowl, they were bringing in um, three touted freshmen. Jordan Matthews was a four star guy, top two, top twenty four seven guy uh, that Texas thought they were getting. Ricky Gibson uh, out of Alabama was a guy that that looked like he was going to go to Georgia at one point. Tennessee was able to, to hold out and win that one. And then Christian Conyer out of Kentucky, Tennessee beat Kentucky heads up for for him. Those are three long, athletic, talented corners, but they're going to be freshmen. So. Um, and, and we've seen this coaching staff lean on experience. So I wonder how much uh, those guys might play early. Um, and then they brought in a transfer and gave Judy Lally from, from BYU, started his career at, at Vanderbilt. I think he was pretty solid, maybe not a, a star at BYU, but was pretty solid in coverage. He had like seven pass breakups, which is more than anybody, more than anybody on Tennessee's roster had. So um, the, to answer your question, though, with the way they – kind of the way the staff operates, I think they're going to need those experienced guys to be more consistent, 
um, to play better, uh, to improve. And, and, and I think their hope is that bringing in some new guys, bringing in some young competition. They did that at safety too, with a couple of freshmen they really like. They're hoping that the, that makes these older guys realize that, hey, I got to fight for my spot. Whereas last season, Tennessee was so beat up at corner, they pretty much had to play whoever was healthy that week. So uh, you look at a guy like Kamal Haddon. Early last season, he looked like he was Tennessee's best cornerback. Then he was just kind of a head case, very erratic, did a lot of talking, did, you know, did more talking than playing well, I would say. If you can get that guy to, to play like he's got all of that energy and that juice and you can get it all flowing in the right direction – he could be a pretty good corner. Uh, Danico Slaughter is a guy that played safety last season, moved to corner late in the year, looked like he was Tennessee's best corner, uh, had, had a great game against Kentucky, great game against Clemson. You know, can he be a cornerback after being there all offseason and, and sort of adjusting and embracing that position? So you're looking at situations like that, guys, older guys that, that um, you know, it's kind of now or never for them. You're, you're going to be looking, I think, more for those guys than for um, these freshmen that they really like and are really talented. You know, it's tough to throw a freshman in a cornerback because the other team's going to see, hey, that guy's a freshman. Let's throw at him. Let's throw at him till he proves something. And so that that's just the nature of that position. And it's easy for those young guys to lose confidence. And so I think Tennessee's going to have to lean on some of those older veteran guys that that you know fans don't they don't want to hear that. They always like the new guys, but I think that's the route Tennessee's just going to have to take just to even get better. I mean, they were 127th, I think, in pass defense last season, uh, and and that's an area that they've obviously got to improve. If they do want to rotate, though, in the first month, uh, Virginia, Austin P, Florida without Richardson, and then UTSA. UTSA can actually chuck it around a little bit, but Tennessee yeah. will score a million points on that defense, so it, it probably won't won't matter. Like you can rotate guys in, and they they should start you know, three and one, four and zero oh, uh, with with if they want to play a lot of guys. That that'll be interesting, and then the schedule gets a decent bit tougher in terms of opposing quarterbacks you have to play. So, got to get it right by the end of September. Uh, where's the spot on this team? Other than quarterback, which it may not even be quarterback, but with the biggest gap between the starters and the backups, like the spot where, hey, ooh, yeah, the backups are not players we want to be playing. The starters are actually, you know, pretty a lot better. Uh, I think I would probably go uh, with the offensive line. Um, they've got some guys that have played, but behind that, they've got some guys that really haven't played a whole lot. Um, and, and uh, you know, we talked about Jerome Carvin earlier at, at left guard. Who's going to replace him? You've got a guy, a six-year guy in Ollie Lane, who's been basically a career backup. He started some as an injury replacement a couple of years ago, but uh, didn't play a whole lot last season. They got a couple of veteran guys there that have, have been around but just haven't played. Uh, they brought in Andre Carrick from Texas, who uh, his biggest contribution, I think, for Texas last season was sort of as an extra tight end. He was, you know, when they wanted to go sort of a, a run-heavy package, he was on the field as a tight end. Um, you know, play a little bit earlier in his career there, but uh, and then maybe Addison Nichols, who's a, a another former four star guy, but he's a redshirt freshman, so a young guy hasn't played a lot. So um, if they were to get some injuries on the offensive line, and, and even if they lost Cooper Mays, their center, you know, the center in this offense is so important because uh, he's sort of the they call him the the you know the the break the gas pedal. What he's the tempo guy. He's the guy that's got to you know because where he stands is where the rest of the offense stands. It sounds really basic, but when you're trying to snap the football with 32 seconds on the play clock, you got to have everybody lined up as fast as possible. And, you know, they, they coach the receivers and the running backs to get the ball to the umpire because he's the guy that spots the ball. So, you know, the center's the guy that's got to have, like, you know, be the energizer bunny that just keeps going and never gets tired. Uh, on top of all of the, you know, the physical things you have to do, battling guys, you know, he's, he's Cooper's a pretty typical center where he's a little bit undersized, 6'3", 305. Uh, you know, he's not one of these 6'6", 320-pound tackles, you know. So 
Um, if they lost him, I think that would be uh, – he, he's probably one of the top three or three most valuable guys on the team just because of what he brings in his experience. So uh, what would they do? We don't – you know, I think Nichols is probably be, would probably be his backup at this point, but again, he's a young guy who's never played. So I'd probably point to the offensive line. You know, they've got four offensive tackles that that probably not a lot of drop-off between them, but, um, you know, if they lost some guys on the interior and had to move some things around, I just don't know how it would look. You know, they, that was one of the luxuries that I think Tennessee benefited from last season. So they didn't, they didn't really have any, many injuries on the offensive line. I mean, four of their five starters played like almost 900 snaps. And then, you know, they had sort of a, a revolving door rotation at left tackle. But uh, but those guys were, were pretty similar in what they brought to the table, how they played. Patrick Brown of Go Balls 24-7. Make sure you guys listen to the Go Balls 24-7 podcast as well. Thanks for joining the show, man. Enjoyed it. Thanks, bud. Thanks for having me again.